you take a backstrap, you pull it out of a deer carcass, you throw it on a rack in a refrigerator. Now, all of a sudden, you have all sides of that backstrap being exposed. And if it was left intact inside that carcass, that's being protected by that bone. So just keep that in mind. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 270, The Bearded Butcher. Seth and Scott Perkins, jerky and dry-aged. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Rackology. Everything you need in one bag. Now available at Rural King and Orsland Farm and Home storefronts. Or online at www.rackology.org. Quiet Cat, the all-terrain electric bicycle. Visit quietcat.com. That's Q-U-I-E-T-K-A-T.com. And use the discount code BIGBUCK15 to secure 15% off your next Quiet Cat purchase. Covert scouting cameras, remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security, and Big Buck merch. You can get cool, high-quality Big Buck t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and hoodies. And show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Brandon Adams with Major League Bowhunter, and you are about to listen to the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. This is Chris Cordell from Memphis, Tennessee with Cordell's Hunting Products. You're about to listen to my favorite deer hunting podcast, the Big Buck Registry. Hey, this is Zach Sandow at Onyx Hunt, and you're listening to one of my personal favorite podcasts, The Big Buck Registry. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and fellow predators. My name is Jay, and thank you for tuning in to The Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at The Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there, and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill. Go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full body harness, please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. The bearded butchers, otherwise known as brothers Seth and Scott Perkins, grew up learning butchery as part of the family business, butchering domestic livestock. They carried their knowledge into the hunter's world by hunting for and butchering all types of wild game. And what goes great with meat? Spices. So the brothers ventured into the spice business, which grew its now infamous label from their bearded father and a namesake inspired by membership at a local beard club. Their spices are all natural, free of sugar, MSG, and anti-caking materials, and the brothers' deer-processing YouTube videos about how to correctly process and age venison has gone absolutely viral. 
In the show, we explore all the bearded butcher's secrets to successful deer processing, how jerky can break down deer hunting barriers, and how you can do it too. We'll get to our entire interview with the bearded butcher, Seth and Scott Perkins, in just one moment. But before we do, let's hear from our friends at Rackology and Jim Keller with the Deer News. Hey, it's Eric Fitzgerald here with Rackology. Wanted to visit you briefly about one of the most exciting products that we got in the market with Rackology. This is our food plot fertilizer. You can supplement your deer right through your food plot with this product. This is not your normal MPK. This has got so many goodies in this bag. Basically what it does is it makes your soil work for you so you can get by with just using fertilizer like this and not a lot of synthetics. If you want a good food plot and you want deer coming in and healthy, healthy plants, look at the food plot fertilizer through Rackology. Check us out at rackology.org. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, this is Matt Duff with Major League Bowhunter. Now here's Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story this week, female poacher gets caught by Oklahoma Game Warden on dating app. This story is from the Louisiana Sportsman website. According to the Oklahoma Game Warden's Facebook page, a woman got caught bragging about killing a deer to a man she was conversing with on a dating app. Little did she know the man she was chatting with was an Oklahoma Game Warden. Game Warden Cannon Harrison of McIntosh County shared the following post. As Game Wardens, our personal lives are often blurred into our professional lives. This is often the case when it comes to social media, personal cell phones, and now dating apps. The woman he was conversing with on a dating app revealed she had just killed a big old buck. Obviously, not knowing Cannon is a game warden, her date night took a turn for the worst. Oklahoma game wardens arrived at the property where she killed the deer and made the illegal case. She has already pled guilty and paid multiple fines. Thanks to Warden Harrison for sharing this entertaining case. U.S. hunters look for permission to hunt deer in Jamaica. This story is from the Staybroke News website. Big game hunters from the United States are trying to get permission to head to Jamaica to hunt the white-tailed deer, which is reportedly breeding at an alarming rate and emerging as a major threat to the natural environment and agriculture, especially in the eastern parish of Portland. American Thomas McIntyre is seeking permission to take the hunters to Jamaica as a new tourism attraction while creating a lucrative income-generating stream for locals. McIntyre's interest was triggered by a Sunday Gleaner story last August in which terrestrial biologist Damian White advised that the white-tailed deer, an alien invasive species, was becoming a problem. They have no natural predators and are spreading fast, and this is because the food supply is good all year round, White said then. A very conservative estimate of the population is more than 6,000 in the wild, added White. According to the National Environment Protection Agency, there is no declared season in Jamaica to permit the hunting of the white-tailed deer. NEPA said it is, at present, administering survey instruments to gather further information on the white-tails deer distribution and impact on the environment and the agricultural sector. Although Jamaicans may hunt the white-tailed deer for domestic purposes, this activity is presently not regulated. Hunting in protected areas such as forest reserves, game reserves, game sanctuaries, and national parks is prohibited, said NEPA. New York Moose Study This story is from the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation website. As part of a multi-year collaborative research project to better understand New York's moose population, DEC Wildlife staff recently completed the fifth annual aerial survey of moose in the Adirondack Park. In 42 hours of helicopter flight time, staff observed 83 moose or groups of moose, all of which appeared healthy. Staff recorded the location, number of animals, the age and sex of each animal, and noted general habitat characteristics for each moose sighted. Data from these surveys will refine our estimate of the moose population in the Adirondacks and will ultimately help inform a future moose management plan. 
101-year-old grandma kills two deer with one shot. They both dropped right there. This story is from the Fox News website and was reported by Michelle Gant. Age is only a number, and one 101-year-old woman isn't letting it stop her from doing what she loves. Bertha Vickers of Morgantown, Mississippi, has been hunting and fishing most of her life. I don't know why everybody is making such a big deal about it, she told the Clarion Ledger last year after the outlet wrote a profile on her hunting accomplishment just shy of her 100th birthday. When you're as old as I am, you naturally think each one could be your last one, but I'm going to go as long as I can. I enjoy it. I love being outside, she said. This year, she's making headlines again for her success during deer season. Though it isn't the size of the deer that's caught people's attention this time, it's the amount. After missing four deer earlier in the season, she was determined to get one, and after spotting several, she got ready. I decided to wait for a bigger one. Before long, a bigger doe came out, and I shot, she said. But Vickers ended up killing two deer with a single shot. I saw two deer on the ground. It shot plumb through both of them. They both dropped right there. They didn't take another step. I knew it was back there. I didn't realize it was that close to her where it could get shot. Not letting any of her meat go to waste, Vickers ended up giving most of it to her grandkids and made steaks for herself. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. Special thanks to Daniel Applebaum, Kendra Rozier, and John Geese for leads on stories this week. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have any questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Seth and Scott Perkins from The Bearded Butcher. Seth and Scott Perkins, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, fellas? Great. How are you, Jay? We, we appreciate the, the invite. We're excited. Uh, thanks for having us on. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us, guys. It's It's been, oh, yeah. I know we've been trying to put this together since a uh, little like mid-deer season. And uh, it, <laughs> as things get nuts uh, with you guys, especially being butchers, um, there is no way we were going to get that done. But things are settling down and uh, we get a chance to talk about some uh, some deer hunting stuff and your story is really cool and the, the the products you're putting out and the videos that you're making uh, are just absolutely viral i mean you've got two million views on just one video and over five million on your youtube channel so you're doing something absolutely. right yeah you know <clears throat> that all that all started because um we, you know, the first video that we did, by no means were we professional uh, at videography or anything like that. And it was literally like, hey, we're going to get ready to cut up a deer. And it's something that we've done many, many times over. And I literally, you know, handed Scott my cell phone and said, let's video this thing, put it on the Internet, because we no longer process deer at our location. But why not explain to the public on how to do it themselves at home? Right, so right. that's how that all began. Gotcha. So yeah. how, how did you guys get started uh, outside of your YouTube presence and, and popularity? Where does this story begin? Going back to what, I guess, when you're kids. So it, it all began um, with our father, who we were raised um, doing dairy, farming. Um, that was a big part of our lives. And, and with that, you know, growing up on a farm, that's where the hunting aspect came in. So in the winter months, dad wasn't, um, you know, pouring concrete and things like that. He was in between milk and cows. Um, he was deer hunting. So that's what got us started in, into the, into the hunting traditions. And then 
our, our father started raising bison in 1987, um, here in Ohio. Hmm. And so in the, in the phase of, of everything that was happening from, from pouring concrete to raising bison to farming, um, the, the interesting thing is, is where he had those bison processed is the business that we now own. Gotcha. Um, in the, in the early nineties, the previous owner came to dad and he, he said, you know, I'm looking to retire. Um, my boys don't want to have anything to do with the business. Would you be interested? And at that time, you know, Scott was 11 years old and I was uh, 13 and our dad being a Vietnam vet, he served with the 173rd Airborne in Vietnam. He not much phases him. So he was up for the challenge and he said, Hey, you know, if, if, if I want complete control over, over processing my own bison, I'm just going to buy the place. And that's where this whole thing began with the, with the, uh, the butchering part of it. Gotcha. Yes. So the, the location is in Ohio. Ohio is a great deer hunting state. I mean, it holds some of the greatest white tails known to man. Mm-hmm. So you're uber familiar with, with big bucks and, uh, we hold those, those deer to our heart here at the big buck registry. Um, mm-hmm. the, let's talk about some, some butchery. I, I guess that's the word I'm looking for. Um, where does, how do you begin as a butcher to, to start to break down some of the, the massive bucks that you'd have in Ohio? So that's interesting. You talk about the massive bucks in Ohio because, um, growing up, processing deer for nearly 15 years for the for the general public scott and i got to witness many of those massive bucks coming through our back door i bet um and you know and when we were processing we didn't always have time to hunt and so for us it was you know maybe you could call it jealousy you know it was jealousy um or you know just the the eagerness to get out there and try to get one yourself because you know we had 180 190 200 inch deer rolling in our back door um and it is just you know it took us a long time to time to, to get over the fact that you know this is business this is where we're at in our lives and sort of you know our day will come when we can go out and give it our best shot so but when it comes you know <clears throat> when it comes to uh processing a big deer like that um you know really it doesn't matter what size the animal it is the application is pretty much the same as far as the, the breakdown, the muscle structures, you know, all that stuff. So I guess the biggest thing you need to do is set apart the, you know, the time, if, especially if you're doing it at home um, with a larger, you know, a bigger carcass, because it, it is going to take you some time. Um, last year, I was fortunate enough to shoot a 161 inch buck here in Ohio. And that deer weighed 248 pounds field dressed going into the cooler and i weighed it after it was skinned and the head off um and that deer weighed 196 pounds just the carcass so you know you're dealing with a with an animal almost the size of a you know some some half of a beef or you know at least a quarter right big animals big animals yeah so as a butcher where where do you where does that journey begin when you start to think about processing an animal? I mean, you have, you have a bunch of different parts and some of us have done it. Some of us have not. I know a bunch of my friends will send their deer out to a butcher. I like to do my own personally, but 
Sure. But how, where does that start? Does it start in the field? Does it start? Um, it doesn't matter, you know, what type of care it's been in before it gets to get to you. Where do you, what do you look for as a butcher when that deer rolls into your shop? Scott, you want to lead the way on this one? Yeah. 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 Jay. So one of the, one of the more important aspects of, of the harvest is, is, um, is your shot placement and even the decision on, on taking your shot. So, you know, there's, there's, if if you're going to make a poor shot, whether, you know, if you take into account all the variables and we understand, like, if you have a very big deer in front of you and you've been, you've been hunting this deer for a long period of time, um, you know, your, your, your opportunity is there. So even if you think that you have, um, you know, you're, you're reaching the end of the, the evening and you might have low light, you might be tracking this thing. Um, we've found that it's, 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 it's the shot plate, the shot placement or the decision on, you know, even taking the shot is kind of, as far as from a butchery standpoint is where the process really begins. So whether it's a deer that you're processing home or the deer that we saw come through our back door, if you have, you know, so archery, we've seen, um, a much higher quality of, of shot. Obviously your deer are going to be in a range, um, the archery hunter is is likely just going to put a single shot on their animal, and so whenever you take um, archery versus in in Ohio, we only have um, shotgun or straight wall cartridge, and of course muzzleloader. But archery gives us a higher level of shot placement typically. So you start thinking about from the very moment you you know let that arrow fly or pull that trigger, and the the if you're looking at the, the deer from a butchering standpoint, where you place a shot, obviously you want to, you know, make a shot in the vitals. Um, and let's say you, you know, you double lung an animal or you shoot through the heart. It goes 50 or 60 yards. Even it got to bleed out. And, and that's all great for the meat quality. And then, you know, next thing would be the field dressing process. And, you know, we sometimes get this question asked whether or not, you know, in Ohio, it's not really common to pack an animal out um, versus a, a Western hunt where you, you might have an animal that you just simply aren't going to be dragging for miles and miles to take the whole carcass out. But in Ohio, almost every deer you harvest, you're, you're going to take, um, you're going to field dress this in the next step, and then you're going to get it out of the field as a, you know, intact animal. And um, so one of the things that we found that, that Seth mentioned his buck that he shot last year is and that buck was shot during rut um great shot you know field dressed and and then we start talking about you know what you're doing with that car how, how are you treating that carcass after you've harvested the animal you know if it's a big buck obviously the horns are or the antlers are are, are something that you're you're gonna be thinking about but also the carcass so seth's buck last year we um we dry it. Now we have the luxury of having a, a, a cooler. And so we can, we can talk a little bit more about dry aging. Yeah. Um, and then obviously your, your, your knife is a, is an integral part of it. So even on your person, when you're in the field, assuming that you're going to be doing the field dressing in the field, you're going to have to have a good blade with you. So really shot placement. And then the blade that you're carrying is kind of where the, where the butchering process starts. Gotcha. Okay. All right. That makes sense. What about the care of, of the meat between or the carcass between the shot 
and when it gets to you, the temperature, the the things that be, the, are there other little things along the way that's going to help to make sure that meat stays in the state that it should be before it hits the freezer and before you touch sure. it. Yeah, there, there's definitely some stuff that you can do. So obviously the ambient care, you know, outdoor temperature has, has plays a lot into, you know, what the decision is, you know, that you're going to make with your carcass. So we, we say if, if, if you look at the carcass, usually what, where you're going to have any area that you don't get the heat dissipated quickly enough is, is going to be between the rounds, right? In the pelvic area. Okay. So one of the things you want to do is, is find a way to either use a spreader bar, cut a branch or something like that. So if you're going to, let's just imagine you're going to put this in the bed of your pickup truck. Um, you, you're going to want to spread the, the, the hind legs apart. And then if you have the ability to put a bag of ice right on that pelvic region, that's going to help tremendously. If you lay the deer on its side with uh, both the hind legs, you know, sort of smashed together, that's one area. If you, if you asked us where we've seen spoilage on a carcass, it's where those two rounds, which would be like your inside round, which is where you get the best jerky from, that's where it will spoil. So you definitely want to help that air um, get to that portion, even if it's the outdoor ambient temperature and it's below, you know, 40 you know, 50, 50 or even down to 40 degrees, that's going to help it. Um, yeah, grab a bag of ice and, you know, throw one in the chest cavity and then just lay one right on that, you know, between those legs and the, on the hindquarter. And that's going to help you out tremendously. Okay. Let me ask you a question about spreading bacteria. Cause I've, I've heard various opinions on this. Some guys go in and hose out their deer and thinking into like, crushed ice without being in a bag you know that Mm -hmm. that that would push the water around almost like a hose would what's your opinion on on hosing out your carcass and and does or does that not spread potential bacteria that's coming out of that gut area sure um well the answer is it yes it will potentially spread bacteria um the question is what bacteria is present now obviously if you do a quality field dressing um, process, then you're not going to have the spread of fecal contamination um, or, you know, contamination from the bladder. You're not going to really have bacteria in, in that chest cavity um, inside that rib cage. And of course your inner loins right there. So if you do, a so, the, so really the only reason why you would really get concerned about getting a hose out is if you did have some contamination in there, which we do not recommend that you try to hose out because you're simply just going to be spreading it around and you're not actually going to, you know, those pathogens are microscopic. You're not going to wash them out. So what we would recommend, and, you know, it's, it's bound to happen. If you have a deer that you've hit back and you've punctured the stomach, it's best to just go ahead and field dress that deer. And even if you're making a mess, just live with the fact that you're making a mess on the inside of that, that rib cage. And then what we would like to see is that to just actually dry out. So then everything will sort of just become intact in there and it will hold it in place. Now you're going to sacrifice your inner loins because they're going to become contaminated. Yeah. But what you won't do is you won't spread that contamination elsewhere on the carcass. 
So we would preach the method. Uh, I mean, it's similar to, I guess, what would be the gutless method. We just treat that chest cavity and that rib cage like it's contaminated. And then we would just take the, um, the meat from the, the outside, you know, basically the outside and work our way down to the rib cage and then just abandon the inside of the rib cage with the dried fecal matter or whatever is in. And we would just leave it alone. We don't get a hose out and start hosing it around because you're just going to wash it all the way down through the carcass. Okay. So you get the carcass in, you, you've got, You've got the hide, uh, you've got the, mm-hmm. the hooves, you've got the head on. Where do you, where do you begin, uh, when, when the deer arrives in your shop, once you get it, do you do an inspection sure. first to see if, if it's worthy to cut up or I mean, what's going through your mind? Well, the first thing you do is, you know, you, you lift up that back leg and you look and see what kind of field dress job do I have here. Right. And then obviously, um, what we like to do, Jay, is when we field dress, we don't split brisket and we don't split the pelvic bone. Um, we've learned that, that we can do the field dress without splitting those. Cause whenever we do that, whenever we split that bone or that hide, we're just opening up more muscle to, to, to get hair or whatever else on it. So if we do it, you're going to see only uh, you know, an 18 inch slit or something like that from the brisket bone to the pelvic bone. And we won't split the hide through the through the pelvic area. We won't split the bone through the pelvic area. We just simply go around the anus and pull that um, rectum down through. And then we cut the esophagus from the inside. And then um, with very little knife work, we can we can go ahead and get that um, the entrails removed. So when we see a deer, the first indicator is what what's the field dress job look like? If you open this, you know, so you lift that leg up and you find this deer is just basically split from chin to to the tail um with you know dirt or or feces or sticks or leaves or what you know whatever have you all over the inside that's a pretty good indication that you know there wasn't a lot of care given to the field dress job and then the other thing was you know we've we've lifted up that hindquarter and actually you know we've observed maggots um, you know, on the carcass. So at that point, you know, you just say that, that, you know, you didn't take care of this carcass up to, you know, so there's, there's not really anything that we can do with it at this point. So, yeah, there's some indicators. And then of course, you know, if there's any off odor that would, that would indicate that the carcass has been mistreated. You know, the other thing too, Jay, is we've had some guys who wanted to maybe skin out their own deer at home. And, you know, let's say that they wanted, you know, they had a taxidermist buddy. He comes over, he skins the deer out. He's going to take the cape, you know, that sort of thing. Um, we've had some folks that have done that and they've removed the hide, but then they didn't take the extra care to go ahead and put a bag over that carcass to bring it to us as a processor. They just simply took the carcass and threw it in the bed of their pickup truck. Hmm. So you're defeating the purpose of, you know, cleanliness by doing that because you got to think about what was in the bed of your truck the last time you know was it garbage bags was it you know cow manure that you're going to spread on your garden and things like that so those are all things to remember um and you know unfortunately with with improper care we have had to turn in the years past we have had to turn many many people away who got you know very upset at us um for basically discarding their animal, but it's for their own, you know, it's for their own good health. Um, and us being a USDA inspected facility, 
we just can't, we simply can't bring something like that into our establishment. Right. Right. That makes sense. So you you give it a, you give it a sniff test, you give it a, a, an overall inspection. uh, Yep. Your, your nose will always be your, your best indicator right off the bat. I mean, if there, if there's any, any souring at all, it's just simply not worth it. Okay. And maggots, obviously, I mean, that's a, that's a big no, no. Yeah. That's a visual and that's, yeah, that's a huge no. And And the other thing too, just to point out is keep the carcass out of the sun at all costs. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if you're going from field to to home and you're going to stop and grab a bite to eat or something and you have the option, it's in the bed of your truck or something, even if it's a, a winter day, find some shade to park under just so that way, you know, you don't have that sun beating down on your carcass and warming it up. Gotcha. Yeah, if you if you happen to be at you know your your deer camp and you're going to be there for you know three four or five days and you shoot a deer on the second day, you know you can refer to our some of our YouTube videos and you can you you can field dress it, you can skin it, you go ahead and quarter it, just get it into a cooler as long as your state laws allow that, you know, and you're allowed to remove the hide, etc. Get it into you know get it into a cooler and get the chill the chill process started because you're if if you try to if you try to keep an animal around. For, and if the outside ambient temperatures are fine, then that's one thing. You know, leave the hide on it, leave it hanging in a tree, that's fine. You know, if it's if it's in the you know forty degrees as a high temp and down into the thirties at night, that's opt- You know, that's perfect temps for hanging a, a deer. But if it's if it's getting up into the sixties during the day and all of a sudden you're in the upper forties at night, you 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 simply can't let you know let that deer hang for any period of time. Gotcha. Okay. So coolers yeah. And, yeah. and ice, th- those are your friends. Uh, oh yeah. When you're fighting temperatures that are uh, above the, the normal 30 ish, 30 something degrees. Absolutely. Okay. And it's best to the co- other, go ahead. I was going to say the other thing that, you know, the issue with, especially early season is if you shoot a deer and, you know, and you, and you have that when in doubt back out and all of a sudden you have to leave something lay, you're going to have to make a decision that next morning when and if you do find it, um, you know, is this meat going to be okay? I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in not pushing a deer that you're unsure of the shot. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer, you know, when in doubt, back out, go in the next day. But you do have to realize that you're, you, there could be a possibility that that animal is no longer any good. Right, right. You do run that risk of. You do run that risk. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. quartering the, the, the deer, if it means getting it into the cooler, is better than keeping it whole If as long as state laws allow that. Mm-hmm. Just to avoid those those higher temps. Okay, gotcha. And, so, you know, walk-in coolers are nice, but not everybody has one of those. Um, right. And, and we've been talking to a lot of guys lately, Jay, who've been building their own. Right. Um because, you know, growing up in the, in this, in this industry, you know, we're, we're hunting, we're hunting within, you know, two miles of our business and we shoot a deer, we have it field dressed and in the cooler within the first hour, hour and a half. Not everybody has that luxury. Yeah. We, we completely understand that, but for, for very little costs, you know, you can, you can put up, you know, some, some two by four walls, insulate them real good, get some you know, get on Craigslist, find some cooling units, um, and, and build yourself a, a, a walk-in type cooler um, that it, it'll absolutely change 
it'll change the way you you even think about shooting an animal when when the temperatures aren't aren't great for it let's talk about it a little bit further and, and break that down a little bit so how would you go about building your own walk-in cooler with on short on a short budget so i mean we've done a little bit of research on using our, our old refrigerator hmm. um the biggest issue is Jay is the humidity control because like our, our big commercial coolers here, we're running, you know, 70% humidity. And we've been told, cause we do, you know, we, we preach dry aging of the carcass. It makes a, it makes a huge difference. But one thing you can't do is try to try to dry age a, an animal in a cooler where the, where there is no humidity, because then what's going to happen is, the carcass is just simply going to dry out. Um, we've been told by a lot of a lot of folks that try to dry age an animal, you know, let's say in a garage or a barn in the western part of the United States, they have a hard time with it because the humidity is so low. Mm. Um, so the outside of the animal, you know, starts to turn black on them. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of waste because of that. They have to trim it off, you know, and discard it. So um, to your point about building a cooler, uh, small you know, there's actually one made by, I think it's, it's made by a company called Coolbot. Um, and you, you can get one, you know, pretty reasonable. I, I actually watched a YouTube video of a guy that found one for 350 bucks on, on his local Craigslist. It had a, a, the cooling unit right on it. It was an insulated box. He was able to hold, I think up to six deer carcasses in it. Mm. Um, something like that would be absolutely fantastic. If you're going to build your own, you would have to, um, get on Craigslist and you'd have to find a cooling, an actual cooler unit that was previously on some sort of walk-in cooler. Cause I'm afraid like a, uh, an air conditioner unit just wouldn't simply, it wouldn't cool it down enough. Okay. And then right. of course, and then of course with those units, they're, they're capable of, of producing humidity needed to keep the, you know, keep it correct inside the cooler. So the best thing to do is find, find a used, a used condenser, a used compressor and build yourself a box. You could probably do it for under 500 bucks. All right. And the box itself, and, and thank you for that point on the air conditioner. Cause you know, I think yeah. a, a lot of people will be thinking, Hey, I should just go grab an air conditioner and plug it in. That's not really the case. Cause you gotta, no, they just simply, they just, they just don't get cold enough. You need to be in that, you know, that 30, 32, 33 up to, you know, 38 degrees. That's, that's where you need to range. You can't be in the, you know, the upper forties and into the fifties, it's just, right. it's just not enough. Right. And that's a heavier, that's a different piece of equipment is what you're saying. Correct. Okay. So you yep. get that. So what, what kind of walls are we building? If you had your choice, I mean, obviously you want to have some kind of a structure that you could walk into some kind of a, a door, um, just using standard, uh, two by fours. And then what, what are you using to insulate that so that the, you can trap the cold in and keep the heat out? It, I would go, you know, to your local building supply store and just get the, the highest rating of insulation that you can get. Because you have to remember when you insulate your home, you know, you're keeping the cold air out and the warm in. So you're, you're basically going to be doing the same thing with a cooler unit. You're going to be keeping the warm air out and trying to contain that cold on the inside now. So, you know, I would I would just get that the highest rating, spend that little bit of extra money. You could, um, you know, just insulate it with a regular, you know, the, the like the fiber insulation. Um, you could do spray foam if you wanted to spend a little bit extra. So I know that's really big right now. Um, just, just go for those R ratings that are, you know, the, that are optimal. And then, so a two by four 
frame construction would be perfectly fine. And then, you know, your insulation and then maybe just use like a, um, it's called like a Marlite board on the inside. Um, that way, any moisture that that's in there, you won't get um, you won't get mold growing, and it's a it's a surface that can very easily be cleaned. Um, you know, you could wipe it down with a little bit of a rag and some bleach, and and keep things all nice and and nice and clean for you. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Well, just since this is such a, let me just weigh in. Since yeah, this is such a just uh, I, while while you're talking stuff, I was. And we're not paid by them or anything like that. But Coolbot, I was just doing a little bit of research, and they they actually have plans on their website on how you can you can convert um, you know like an eight by eight storage unit into um, a cooler. And so um, storeitcold.com, and they they basically have everything that we're talking about. They already have all the you know PDF plans you can you can download. Um, they sell the different control equipment and stuff like that. So. As far as th this particular um, event goes with this being such a, cause I, I talked to a guy over the weekend at our Eat wild event and he was saying that, you know, he, he basically bought the commercial equipment and, and he needed to get a cooler that he can fit 12 hanging car deer carcasses in. And, you know, I think he, he said he had all from brand new with a cooler box and the evaporator condenser, everything. He spent a total of $5,000 and we understand that's not in most people's budget, but, yeah, I would recommend that that as far as learning, you know, the materials and and everything like that, um, it, it you know it appears that that storeitcold.com has one of the best um, guides on how you can set out to get started on that part of the project. Awesome. That's I, the, I guarantee you, Jay. If you're a guy in the neighborhood that builds yourself your own walk-in cooler, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be the most popular guy on the warmest weekend of okay. hunting season. <laughs> that, you're definitely yeah. you're going to have your buddies lined up at your door so it has its perks and it's and it's downfalls i guess it does right. I, I you might you, you might want to tell a select few uh, well that yeah. too but that i think the guy that i spoke to over the weekend you know it was actually something that he uh he charged a couple of bucks and and that became uh you know he may have made some of his money back over time so that's something you could always do too you know sort of rent out the space or whatever Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, sure. If you have yeah. it and they don't, then you could do a team effort there for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing, you know, get together with, you know, three, four buddies and share the cost on something like that. Agree, you know, to park it at one, one guy's house and for a couple hundred bucks each, you've, you've got your own setup. Right. Yeah. It's yeah, a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So instead of costing 500, everybody throws in a hundred and boom, you got yourself a walk-in cooler whenever you need it. Absolutely. Good idea. Mm -hmm. right, so getting back to the carcass, we preserved it correctly. You have a good carcass to work with. Where do you start? Where do you start as a butcher um, from the point of it still having a hide on? So the, the, the where we start is we obviously, you know, it's easiest to skin a deer carcass when it's warm. That's mm -hmm. not always possible. You know, that's not always possible because, you know, time of year, et cetera, et cetera. But um, you will find that if you start – if you skin a deer carcass while it's warm, I mean, the, the hide, literally, you can, you can push it off with your fist. Um, and, you know, you make your first initial cuts down the back of the legs and on the inside of the rounds, and you, and you start to, to peel that hide down. Um, you, you can, you know, you can just take your fist. And, and, and if you go to our YouTube channel, you can watch us do it. And we pretty much just, you know, just push the, push the hide right off the meat. Yep. Um, 
So that's what we do. We like to start around, you know, and this is another mistake that guys make. Um, when, you, when you're starting on the hind legs up, you know, near the, the hock and that, that thick Keeley's tendon, what a lot of guys will do, and I don't, you know, I don't, and I don't know why, but they'll, they'll just get a saw out and they'll just cut those back legs off and they'll cut right through that tendon and everything. Mm. Well, you have to, you have to remember that you need somewhere to hang your deer once it's skinned. So if, if you start skinning around the hind legs and you, and you pull the hide down over the hock, leave that tendon and everything intact. And right, right above that tendon, there's a knuckle there. So if you take your knife and you, and you score that tissue on the top of that knuckle, excuse me, you can break that leg. So you can, it'll snap. So you can, you can snap that knuckle, go ahead and remove, you know, the, the remaining portion of the leg, pull the hide down. So, so you're left with a hock and the tendon attached to it. So that way you have, you know, whether you're going to use a gambrel or a spreader or, you know, something homemade or whatever, you can hang the deer from those hind legs and then you, you can be guaranteed that those tendons aren't going to break. So during the, re, the remaining portion of your skinning process, you can apply all the force in the world needed, you know, to push that hide off that, that animal without having the whole thing come crashing down onto the floor. So, so what we like to do is get those hocks opened up, get the deer hung up by the, the hind legs, and then um, make your incisions down over the rump. And then just start pulling the hide down, starting at the rear, you know, the rear of the animal and, and working your way down towards the tail, cut the tail off and then just continue pulling the hide down. Now, there's a thin layer of meat. Um, as soon as you get down around the hind quarter of the, the deer that we like, it's called rose meat, what a lot of butchers refer to it as. But um, so it's a lot easier if you leave that thin layer of, of, of meat on the actual deer carcass and not on the hide. If you if you teach yourself how to separate those two, that's where the skinning process is just it's so much easier if you leave that on the deer. Um, and you, if you watch our videos, you can see and we explain that process on how to do that. And then you simply just continue pushing and pulling and, and a knife is needed here and there um, all the way down to the chest area of the deer. And then um, once you get down to the front legs, you can you can pull the hide off sort of like skinning a rabbit. So you can pull the hide off the front legs. And then once you get down to the neck, you might need to do some knife work you know, around that neck area because it gets to be a little bit tougher and harder to pull down to the head, remove the head, and, and you're pretty much finished. Okay. You, and, that, and, that, and the application's different if, it, if it's a shoulder mount. So um, we have another video on our YouTube channel on how to do that, just, you know, where to cut, where not to cut, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. So as you're, yeah. you're taking the hide off here and you're kind of getting it prepped for the next, next phase of, mm -hmm. of butchery, which is to take off the 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 main the main quarters or parts what mm -hmm. are you, what kind of knives are you using and are you using different knives d at different points in the process so we have our favorite jay um growing up in this business for you know almost 25 years we have a, a knife and it's a victorinox um it's a six inch semi-stiff boning knife mm -hmm. it has a, a, a rosewood handle and the great thing about this knife is you can literally use it for everything. So you can use it to skin the animal. You can use it for breakdown. You could use it for cutting, you know, steaks and roasts and jerky and, and that sort of thing. You can use it to do your, your trim work, 
um, for your for your grind your ground meat. Um, absolutely, our favorite knife. We've used them for you know, like I said, almost twenty five years, and they've they've never let us down. Okay. And are you are you using multiple versions of that and, and sterilizing them in between, or is it just all the way through? It doesn't matter. So we typically, and we have a sterilizer here. So yes, during that process, um, you know, especially on the processing, you'll you'll see us, you know, sterilize occasionally. Steal when we steal our knife, we tune it up, you know, wiping the blade off, that sort of thing. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So you're basically using the same style of knife the same knife um not not necessarily to to skin and then you get into the the other parts of it but you're using the same knife um to do all of it for the, for the most part correct yeah and and you know when we skin a, an animal um that's where you know the hides removed it goes into our walk-in cooler and that's where we we start the dry aging process which is typically you know seven to ten days at 32 33 34 degrees um so at that point, the knife would be cleaned, and then we would, you know, go into the processing portion of it once it's finished its okay. uh, its dry aging. Let's take a little break, and when we come back, we'll pick up our conversation with Seth and Scott Perkins from the Bearded Butcher. Rackology Deer Supplement and Attractant, developed through years of intense scientific research, comes a product that puts it all in one bag. Superior Attractant, scientifically formulated vitamins and minerals, and all at a much better price. To get yours today, please check out Rackology.org for a list of dealers. Rackology, how can you afford not to use it? Everything deer need, all in one bag. And now back to our conversation with the bearded butcher, Seth and Scott Perkins. So you you actually dry age on on the bone we do okay yeah we we dried the entire carcass and um so the deer that i shot last year the buck um we aged that deer for 10 days and when we were processing it scott was like because typically we do like a, a boneless backstrap a boneless deer chop and scott was like let's do some bone in chops on this thing so we cut i mean just like you would on a beef we cut porterhouse chops and t-bones and they were and this was you know a big body deer so they were a massive steak um believe it or not when you when we cooked those we grilled them it was just like eating a steak in a, in a fine restaurant you absolutely couldn't tell that it was deer and you certainly couldn't tell that it was a, a, a buck shot during the rut here in ohio really yeah and that's that you know we we preach temperatures we preach dry aging and, and you know how you cook it and and that that is why you can have a, just a you know unbelievable uh experience when you when it comes to eating the deer okay so you talk about the dry aging a little bit so there are some specifications to dry aging it's not just i mean if it's too dry it's not going to work if it's too too wet it's not going to work if the temperatures mm-hmm. aren't aren't if the temperatures are too high or too low that's not going to work what, right. where do you have, to, what are you thinking about when you dry age something? What do you have to get exactly right? Well, since Scott did the video on our YouTube channel for dry aging, I'm going to let him rock and roll with this one. Okay. Yeah. So right. as Seth message, we do have the, uh, the YouTube channel that points out a lot of this. So, and we've talked to, um, so, so obviously we have our method and it's predicated on the resources that we have. And so we understand that, and we've already talked a little bit about, somebody being able to replicate those resources and, and, and what, what they have available to them. But we've also talked about other people in the methods that they use. So I'll touch a little bit on that, but 
Um, as far as temperature goes, Jay, you know, Seth, Seth mentioned, so freezing uh, 32 at, at up to 40 degrees is kind of your, your sweet range as far as temperatures go. Um, so let's just say 34 being your optimal temperature. And then the other thing was humidity that Seth talked about. Now this, there's, there's the debate whether you leave the hide on, if you're doing a whole, a whole carcass dry age, whether you leave the hide on or you remove the hide. Now, I think this is where humidity plays a lot into it, because if you, um, if you don't control humidity, then you might want to leave the hide on just because it's going to prevent the carcass from drying out too quickly. So we know our optimal temperature is 34 degrees. The optimal humidity is right around 85 percent. Now, the good news is usually it's easier to add humidity to your environment than it is to take it away. So if you have a smaller cooler, walk-in cooler, you can literally put um, a, bu a bucket of water in there and that's going to, and, and you know, throw a towel over the edge of it and that's going to wick um, the water up out of that bucket and add humidity to your, your air. So you can buy a relatively cheap, you can buy a, a a little sensor to put in there and it'll tell you what your humidity is at. Um, so 34 degrees, 85% humidity, and then seven to 10 days is, is, is the very best conditions with, with, you know, so variation, not, not a lot of variation in, in temperature humidity. Now, how you replicate that environment is where, you know, things get tricky if you don't have the commercial setup or you don't have the, the built the 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 built-in walk-in. Um, just recently spoke with a guy that has a cold bot. Shot a, a deer in Michigan. He he does three weeks in his cold bot with the hide on. Um, there's other folks that we've talked to that use the the refrigerator method where they they take and move the uh, wire rack up to the top of their refrigerator and hang the, the quarters in there and maybe lay the back straps on the rack. And, and then you, there's where you want to maybe put a little fan in there if you could just keep the air moving around. And then there's the cooler method where you line the bottom of your cooler with ice. You lay your quarters in, you put another layer of ice, then you put another set of quarters in, then you put another layer of ice, and then you put your back straps and, um, and then put, your, uh, put, put a layer of ice. And then you open your drain plug, point it downhill, and, and you add ice. Um, as needed. Now, obviously, that's going to be like 100% humidity because you're going to have the ice converting to, you know, to water and saturating everything. And I've heard people that really like that method. Um, recently, a guy told me that, you know, he took his deer to the butcher. It wasn't aged. It wasn't dry aged. You know, they're just they're basically taking it in, skinning it, putting the cooler maybe overnight. But what he was doing was he was taking his roast or his backstrap or whatever out of the package and putting it in his refrigerator for a week um, just to further age it after processing. So there's different angles, but the optimal temperature is 34 degrees. The optimal humidity is 85%. Uh, and then how you work with it from there is also going to determine how much time you can spend. If your environment's a little bit warmer, you're going to have a, you're going to only go for a sh shorter period of time. If it's, you know, below freezing outside, you, you, you simply can't just hang something in freezing temperatures and have an aging process happen either. Because what happens is scientifically, 
your enzymes are, are only working to break down the muscle if you're above freezing. So, um, yeah, just really trying to nail those optimal ranges is where, you know, where it gets tricky. But if you do it and you, even if you do it one time, uh, you'll just be blown away by the results. One thing you do have to remember, if you do need to break a, a carcass down to fit it into that homemade refrigerator, you know, or, or whatever type of, you know, system you're going to be using, you have to remember that once you remove that muscle off that bone of that deer, you are now creating more surface area that's going to come in contact with the air. So there's a possibility that if you do that, you are going to need to trim some of that off at the end of your dry aging period, and you'll have a little bit more loss that way. So just keep that in mind. You know, if you take a backstrap, you pull it out of a deer carcass, you throw it on a rack in a refrigerator. Now, all of a sudden you have, you know, all sides of that backstrap being exposed. And if it was left intact inside that carcass, that's being protected by that bone. So just keep that in mind. Right. Right. Gotcha. Yep. All right. So you've gone through the dry age process and do you do dry age with every single deer that comes in or do some hit the, the, uh, the bench right away? Every single deer that we shoot, we do. Okay. Um, because we're eating these things we're, you know, we're, we're giving them to family and friends and, and et cetera. So we want absolutely, you know, the best, best, you know, deer you can eat. So, so yeah, we do. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you get it to the point that you like it as far as the, the aging process. What's the next step? So the next step is to, um, you know, just bring it out onto our floor. The, the video that we did on YouTube, the deer processing video, we did that without the use of a commercial saw because we understand that most guys at home aren't going to have a bandsaw sitting, you know, in the corner that they can just pull out and use. So, um, even though we have the commercial refrigeration to use here at the business, we wanted to, you know, kind of bring the, the processing side of it down to, to, to a level where more people could understand it, more people could do it at home without, you know, that big, huge investment of equipment. Um, so we, you know, we bring the animal out onto the table. We have a, um, which, which we call them our, you know, our, our processing tables. They have a, a cut, a cutting board on them like a, a plastic cutting board yep. and you know, we, we put the animal down on that. And then that's when we begin our, our process. We pull the, the hind legs up, we remove the inner loins, which we always, we grew up calling them fish tenders. Uh, some folks on YouTube thought that was pretty funny that we'd refer to them <laughs> as a fish tender, but it's right, just like right. a, it's a slang for a deer tenderloin here in this part of, you know, part of the country. So gotcha. um, we remove those inner loins we go ahead and, you know, we, we pull those hind quarters off. We, we pull the front shoulders off and then we remove the, the back straps. We sort of get the, you know, the inner loins, the hind quarters, the back straps and the shoulders all set aside as, you know, their, their own specific muscle structure. Yeah. And then we remove all, you know, anything that on that animal that can be trimmed off in, into a grind, um, whether we're making, you know, smokies or, summer sausage or a, a bratwurst or, you know, a, a hamburger, we go ahead and we, we remove all the trimmings possible off, you know, what's left of the carcass. We certainly don't want to, you know, see anything go to waste. Once we start a trimmings pile, then we go back through, you know, we'll start with the hindquarters. We'll remove the shanks out of them. 
we'll go ahead and separate the four uh, muscle parts in that hindquarter, the, the round tip, top round, eye round, bottom round. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll separate all those. We'll make sure we get that gland out of those hindquarters. Um, big, there's, there's a lot of people touch on the glands in a deer. You definitely do want to get those removed. Um, there's one located right in the center of that hindquarter. And then there's another one up near the neck on the, uh, in front of the shoulders. Um, so you want to get those out. What, so once we get on the gland, what does the gland yeah. look like specifically? How do you know you got the gland? So each gland is located inside a chunk of fat. So the first thing you need to do is start looking for a, a larger piece of fat located inside those rounds. Okay. And then once you find, once you find that piece of fat, um, if you want to make a cut into it or, or however to, you know, do your own little research, um, the gland, it's kind of, it's going to be a little bit gray and, and it's going to have, you know, some, it, it can be gray, it can be a little bit purple or, you know, black even, um, what you, and we're not, you know, veterinarians or anything like that by any means, but the glands do tell a story. And if you, for any reason, see one that, you know, might be infected or, you know, green or something like that, you might want to take that into consideration on the overall health of the animal too. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's one located inside the, inside the rounds and there's one up right in front of the neck in front of the front shoulders, but start looking for that big chunk of fat and inside that fat's going to be that gland. Okay. All right, good. So it should be so, fairly easy to identify once you start getting the parts separated. Correct. Yep. And um, yeah, it just makes for an unpleasant. Uh, if you if you threw that into into the trimmings pile, you it wouldn't. It's gonna it's gonna give the the meat a little bit you know a, a funky taste. Plus the you wouldn't want to bite into that. Right. <clears throat> right. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. So once we get the you know get the rounds separated, um, we'll go ahead and, and and do the same thing with the shoulders. We will basically at this point, all we're doing is we're, we're removing bones. Um, and then we'll go ahead with the back strap. We will remove the silver skin off the back of it and then just start cutting everything up into whether we wanted to do roast, stew meat, you know, chops, butterfly chops, whole, you know, whole back straps, however we want to do that. Right. Based off of whatever the, the request is at the time. Correct. Okay. All right. Yep. And that that's basically it. Now, after that, it, there's a cleanup process. I mean, because I would think you'd want to start sterilizing your equipment um, once sure. you're done. What? How do you guys clean up? What, what kind of agents are you using to get that back to start? So we have a um, we have a, a system here that actually that, that has a, the cleaner and degreasers right in it, but. We were a uh, certified organic processor for a long time, and we no longer hold our, you know, our certificate, our organic certification, but we still do carry on the same practices. So we have a biodegradable cleaner that we use. We have a, um, a water pump with 180 degree water. So we will start with washing everything down with 180 degree water. You know, root, remove that residue and that, that blood and, and meat scraps off of the tables and the, the, the saws and the floor and, and that, you know, and everything. And then we will we'll soak everything down with our biodegradable degreaser. Um, and then we'll go back. We'll re-clean with 180-degree water. And then once everything's clean, we will use um, bleach and we'll, and we'll bleach everything down. Okay. All right. So you yep. st start from scratch. You get all this great meat 
gets all packaged up and away it goes to the freezer, I would assume, at this point. Correct. How, how do you get it into a freezer a state or prepared for the freezer? What's your favorite method for storage? Our favorite method is a um, we have a BPA-free plastic vacuum sealed bag. We love vacuum sealing. Um, you know, we've had folks that have come back. We, we typically recommend 12 to, to 16 months, and you want to start, you know, you want to get your, your items used up. However, we have had folks that have come back two, three, four years later and said, oh, you know, I was digging around in my freezer and I found something from 2014 and I decided, you know, what the heck, I'm going to open it up and throw it on the grill. And they said it was just as good as the day they took it home. Right. So you're, you're not going to get your freezer burn, um, anything like that when you vacuum seal. I do like my vacuum seal. I'll give you that, man. It's, there's, Absolutely. It's night yeah, and day. you just can't beat it. It is. And when you respect the animal that much and when you, re- you really like the product you're throwing in there, and it goes for not just for venison, it's really all the meats that you're buying or, or you oh, know, yeah. being butchered. Everything that we process here, doesn't matter what the species it is, um, we, we display it in, in vacuum seal packaging. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yep. blame you. Excellent. All right. Yep. So let's, let's continue on. Um, into the the seasoning company that you have so you guys grew out of this this, this butcher uh, business and you started some spice blends so mm-hmm. i really want to pick your brain about you know what what are we talking about when trying to cook the meats that you just carved up and getting ready to have a, a fabulous meal and you guys have gone an extra step with the spice blends it's kind of caught fire you're yeah, you have a cool logo. I think it's your dad, if I'm not mistaken. That's that's part, it is. part of yeah. your logo. Um, where does that all start out? When when did you kind of continue on into the the spice blend business? So you know, having a retail meat shop, um, we had a lot of customers that you know everybody throws something on the grill on the weekend. Everybody's got their home smokers. Um, but then people started, you know, asking and talking about, you know, do you guys have any seasonings? And we're like, well, no. And at the time, this was about five years ago, four, four to five years ago, um, there wasn't a seasoning on the market that we wanted to put in our store because we're, you know, we're, we're selling the, you know, the 100% grass-fed beef, the non-GMO fed pork, no antibiotics, no hormones. So the last thing we wanted to do was put a seasoning on our shelf that was full of a bunch of junk. So we knew that we needed a, uh, a no sugar, a no anti-caking agent, no MSG, no gluten spice. Hmm. So we, um, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy how this all, you know, how it all started because we literally just took bulk spices and just we have a break room here at our our shop and we would just go in to our counter in our break room and just start mixing spices um because we were determined to come up with something that we could put in our store and so once we found a spice that we you know a, a formulation that we really liked we knew that we needed to you know brand it or, or launch it so to speak so um we knew we wanted to get our father, you know, in, involved in that portion of the business as well, because 
he was the one who got this whole thing started. Right. Um, you know, he, he bought the meat business. He, um, you know, we felt like we owed it to him. And at the time he wanted to kind of take a step back in the business and, yep. you know, sort of semi-retire. And we were like, Hey pops, you know, we're not going to let you do that that soon. We're going to put your face right out here in front of everybody and boom, you know, throw it out there, you know, on the market. So we, um, and, and at the same time, right, right here and beards were, you know, the hip thing, popular thing. We, we grew up with, our grandfather was bearded. Our father, being a Vietnam vet, you know, he wasn't able to have a beard when he served in the military. But as soon as he got out of the military, you know, he grew a, a massive full beard. So we grew up with, with uh, you know, a father having a, a big beard. And then um, right at the beginning of our, of, of our spice company, we had a couple friends that were working for us. And we thought it would be cool to create a group of guys in Northeast Ohio and just have like a, a big beard club. So we started uh, what was called at the time, it was called Northeast Ohio Facial Hair Club. <laughs> and we would get together. We would hold meetings once a month. We would bring in guys from all over the state. Wow. And it was just a way, you know, for us to, you know, especially in the winter time and cold months, Hey, you know, go hang out, go grab a bite to eat, meet new people. Well, that was right along the same time that we had started the seasoning business. We, we knew that we had to come up with the logo, the guy that was working for us. Um, his wife happened to be, um, a designer, a logo designer. So she's the one who created our logo. Um, and then from there we started with, uh, the, the original bearded butcher blend seasoning. We added, um, the Chipotle, or I'm sorry, the, the Cajun and the hot. And then the Chipotle was the last one. So the cool thing about it is Jay, the original has our, our father's face on the bottle. Yep. And then there's three boys here. Our, our oldest brother, Sean, myself, Seth, and then Scott. Yep. So we wanted, we wanted to identify, each flavor with one of the four of us. So that's when we, when that's when we created the, the hot or I'm sorry, the original, which was dad, the Chipotle, which is our older brother, Sean, the Cajun, which is myself and the hot, which is Scott. And then gotcha. since then we formulated a barbecue sauce that is based off the, of the original seasoning, but it's really crazy because the way this whole thing worked, um, you know, looking back at, you know, the beard club and the, and the, the birth of the beard of butcher blend seasoning and, and the, and the, the wild game processing. And then we're, we're also a big green egg dealer here. So we sell the, the ceramic style Komodo shaped big green egg. Yeah. And so when you tie all those together, I mean, this, this thing, I mean, it, it just ignited and we're, we're just, we're absolutely thrilled with the, the growth of the brand and the, and the, the business overall, Very it's, cool. it's been, an, it's been an incredible ride. It sounds like you need to get into the, uh, beard grooming and trimming products as well. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. Beard, a bearded butcher balm, beard right, balm. Right. Yeah. Beard balm. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, and, and having such a, a long history in the, 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 like the, you know, the deer processing, we figure, you know, and, and when we started messing around with these seasonings, we were like, well, you know, 
you know, these are really good on, on venison. And because when you take, when you take a, you know, a, a real lean piece of meat, you cook it over a campfire. Sometimes it's like, man, I, I just need a little something extra. And the last thing you want to do when you take, you know, a, a pure animal and, and then throw a bunch of seasonings on it that's packed full of chemicals. Right. So we knew that our seasonings paired really, really well with wild game. Um, and it's, that's been proven because it just, I mean, it just kicked off. That's awesome. So let's, yeah. let's get into some of your favorites as far as, you know, how do you guys like to use your spice blend? And after that, I want to talk a little bit about jerky because I get a feeling you guys know a little bit about that too. Yeah. So our absolute favorite is we make a, uh, a venison brat with our original seasoning. Wow. And it's, it's a pretty simple formulation because you can use one bottle of our seasoning per 12 pounds of meat. So we typically take 10 pounds of, oh, I should say 11, 11 pounds of deer meat. We throw in a pound of either like a fatty, fattier pork trim or, or some, or some pork fat. And then we dump in a bottle of seasoning and we add a high temp cheese to it, whether it be cheddar or pepper jack or whatever you want to use. We typically use cheddar. Yep. Um, and you, and then you, you cook that deer brought up, you put some of our barbecue sauce on it. There it's unmatched. It's, Mm. it's incredible. So that's one of, that's one of of my personal favorites. Okay. All right. Yep. But as far as like, you know, our, our slogan is use it on everything because you literally can, whether it be you're, you're grilling back straps, you know, throw some seasoning on them, you know, or you're doing a, let's say you want to make a, a stuffed back strap. We like to take a back strap and, and actually butterfly it. Yeah. So we butterfly it, you know, not only one time, but about four times. So it makes a nice big wide piece of meat and we fill it with uh, some feta cheese and some onions and peppers and then throw some seasoning in there and, um, you can make a, a gourmet meal, um, right at home, something like that. Very cool. And, and, and to prove that, you know, the, the, the wild game and, and the seasoning, um, the, how those two pair up, we were actually able to, um, get some in Adam Greentree's hands. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So that's where the story kind of takes a twist because which, that's how I first came in contact with you was through Laura Zara. Right, right. So Laura Zara, you know, we, we all know, super cool chick. Um, we, get, we met her through social media. She um, actually reached out to us and was like, hey, I'm coming through Ohio. Can I stop by? And so nice. we were like, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So she came here. Um, we were actually, um, we were slaughtering that day. She, she hung out with us. Um, she watched the, the slaughtering process. Um, and then we, we spent the whole day. She came out to our house. Um, she, she came out to my house. We cooked some supper and she, you know, she took the kids in the backyards and built a shelter and it was, it was super cool. Um, just down to earth, real person. And we really, really enjoyed that. And then, um, through that is how we came in contact, you know, with the relationship we had with her, with Adam Greentree. We were able to send him some seasonings when, when you know, he's, he lives in Australia. He took, them, um, he took them on a few backcountry hunts in Australia. He took them to New Zealand. And then he's in the States right now, and he's been using them throughout his, his trip 
um, in the western part of the state. Nice. Is uh, so, catching cooks. Yeah. That's awesome. That is so yeah. cool. I love it. What about jerky? I mean, you guys, uh, one of my favorites it, to turn a lot of different venison cuts into is jerky. And I know that might mm-hmm. be sacrilege in some areas, but when I'm faced with um, a number of non-hunters that don't love just plain old cooked venison, not that they're antis, but I just mm-hmm. find that there's there's a group that loves venison and there's a group that doesn't. And sure. in order to get the group that doesn't to eat the venison and I think subconsciously become supportive of hunting and hunters themselves, I feed them jerky and it seems, sure. seems to work. Like, so it tastes m- good. Yeah. It tastes good. And the more jerky I can get in their hands, that's made from the venison, uh, and the animals that I've hunted and killed the better off, uh, the message is for all hunters, I think in a lot of ways. And that seems to be the way I'm, I'm able to do it. What do you, what do you guys uh, have to, to say about making jerky? So it's interesting you say that because you talk about, you know, getting new people on board with eating venison. We, one of our favorite things to do is being in an event, just like we were um, last weekend at our local outfitting store, Thin Feather for Outfitters, where we did the, um, the Eat Wild, is we love being able to get someone to try venison for the first time who comes up to our table and says, no, thank you, I don't eat deer meat. But yet we're able to get them to try it, and they're like, you know, oh my goodness, that that's amazing. Right. You know, how did you do that? You know, I I I want I want to go out and shoot one, or I want my husband to go out and shoot one. So you're 100 percent right about that. And the uh, the jerky for us. So here again with the you know with the bearded butcher blend seasonings, you can literally use them in everything. So we there's a video on our YouTube channel on how to make jerky using our seasonings. And whether you want an, an original flavor, a, um, a chipotle, a Cajun, or a hot, the same formulation used in the bratwurst, which is one bottle per 12 pounds, is the same one that you use for jerky. Now, we do like to add the SureCure packet. So if you go, um, which is your nitrites. Yep. If you get, if you get on you know the internet and you go to um, if you just look up you know pink curing salt you can find it in a in a one ounce packet. So if you if you use a bottle of our seasoning for twelve pounds and then the recommended usage of your pink curing salt, you mix those two together um, in your whole muscle jerky. Let it sit overnight. Throw it in your smoker. One hundred eighty five you know one ninety for six seven hours. Boom, you've got venison jerky. Got it. Nice. And, you know, you talked about cutting pieces of meat up into jerky that, you know, we caught some flack on that one on our YouTube channel because guys are like, you know, why are you cutting that round steak into jerky? Right. We're, we're, we're just like you because, you know, we've Scott and I both have little kids. He's got five and I've got four. And it's like one of the best snacks that you can provide them is a pack of jerky. So it's like rather than sit down and eat a round steak, they would prefer a piece of jerky. Right. So that's why we did it. And I get the same flack, but the reality is yep. I'm surrounded by people that will consume jerky. They won't consume a nice yeah. butterfly venison steak, even though... I don't know too many people that will that will turn down a, a handful of jerky. I don't know anybody. I, I took... Yeah. I made some. I brought it to... Uh, 
a, a gathering, a family gathering, and some mm-hmm. my, my cousin Jennifer from from Boston. And Jennifer, if you're listening, you know exactly what we're talking about. And and her husband David, they started. I just put a plate of it out on the table with all the other things, mm-hmm. and piece by piece, it started to disappear. And before I know it, um, my my cousin was stuffing it into her pocketbook, uh, and, taking it home, and taking it home because <laughs> her yeah. son son Charlie loves it, loved it, and mm-hmm. so it, all of a sudden, and they came up to me and said, "This is the best beef jerky we've ever eaten." And I said, mm-hmm. "You know what? It's true. It is <laughs> the best jerky yeah. you've ever eaten, but it's not beef. It's actually venison. It's deer. It's deer. Miss, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished is correct." So now yeah, I did the same. <laughs> it's it's funny we can relate in so many ways because I did the same thing at this year uh, at our family Christmas. We um, my wife's family had had her grandmother and aunt and uncle came up from the southern part of Ohio, and one of our favorite things to do is to to take you know some some smokies made with some some cheese and some summer sausage and some venison jerky, and we laid it out on the table and. Before you knew it, by the end of the day, there was very few pieces left in the in the, the little trays, and I, I didn't even tell them it was deer. Right, right. And they just gobbled it up. Yep. So you, you've yeah. you've gained a, a hunter supporter by doing that, is my guess. Uh, so absolutely, I, I would say we need more jerky in the world. When we comes, do. When the world to... the world would be a, a better place with jerky. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go into a couple of deer hunts, you guys. Um, think about a memorable deer hunt that you've been on somewhere in your lifetime, and we'd like to kind of share that journey on the show and, and go with you and kind of recreate what what occurred. Yeah. So I'm sure Scott would like to, to add into this one. I don't want to use up all our time here doing all the talking, but um, so we have a cabin located in the southern part of Ohio. Um, our family is originally from that area, Belmont, Monroe County. And we, we, our father went down with our grandfather. Um, it's, it's not the, the original Perkins family farm. However, it is located in the same County where we were able to purchase some land, um, very, very close to the Wayne national forest. Um, we were able to go down and we bought a cabin that, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a 18th century hand-hewn beam log cabin wow that we yeah it's it's super cool um in the early 2000s we went down we dismantled this cabin and we put it we we rebuilt it re-erected it on our property so we now have a two-story log cabin it's got all you know it's got a a wood stove a, a nice little kitchen um some running water with a cistern type system in it but that is the place that we go where we create memories that last a lifetime. So when Scott and I first started going down there, you know, we were, which we've, we've grown up hunting Scott and I together our whole lives, whether it be, you know, from Thanksgiving morning, chasing cottontailed rabbits to, you know, deer hunting. So, but, but that place has become so special to us because, you know, we were able to build it with, with our, our dad and our grandfather, now grandfather, our grandpa has passed on, mm-hmm. but we can go back there now, you know, with our kids. So the, I mean, the, 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 one of the memories that, that sticks in my mind is when we, the first year that we had our cabin built, our brother-in-law went with us and he, he shot on opening day, shot a, a real nice nine point buck. Um, and I still have the image in my, in my head of that buck hanging in a tree 
in front of that hand-hewn beam log cabin and our grandfather sitting on the front porch in his orange jacket. Nice. So it's like the, the, the memories just think, you know, that you could spend together with family doing something that you love. And if you're successful, you bring something home that just makes it all the better. That's awesome. Very good. Cool. What do you got, Scott? Well, I, yeah, those are, those are great memories. And I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, both of us, you know, having shot numerous deer and one of the things for me that, that, and obviously with the, with the, the trips to the Southern cabin, um, the, the, the family is involved, which, you know, that's to me, that's the, the biggest uh, aspect of hunting is the fact that we can, um, you know, enjoy the tradition uh, of hunting and then we can pass it along to the next generation. So I, I think about like going out with my kids and being with them um, when, when you experience them taking their first deer, I think, at least for me, um, trumps any time that I've really, you know, that I've really taken a deer myself. So I think about like taking my son out and, you know, him, you know, being in, and so my son Brady, um, at the time he was only eight, but he's, he's really big into, um, survival and, and, and sort of outdoor lifestyle. So he, uh, he had packed, uh, a, a backpack and it included a, um, a field cooking kit. And in that particular hunt we were on, um, it was a warm day in late season. It was like around 50 degrees and it, you know, made it very easy for him to sit in the stand, but we had a button buck come in and, you know, offered a perfect shot and, and he shot it and we, we watched it, watched it go down and, and, and we recovered it. But then, um, because of where you were sitting, Seth, we couldn't, we actually couldn't walk out because right. we would have walked over top of you and we had about two hours. Um, so we field dressed the deer and then we took the, uh, the heart and we actually set up and we, um, because he, Brady had, you know, the correct equipment for it. We cooked the heart right there in the field. And I just remember sitting there, you know, on that, uh, leaning on our packs and, you know, we, we, we could have been anywhere in the world, um, on, on that particular evening. And we, and we could have been at any point in time too, you know, we could have been 150 years ago, you know, sans the, um, you know, maybe modern day equipment that we were using. But the point I'm making is, is that it's a timeless tradition that you, um, you absolutely, in my opinion, can't get any higher, uh, bigger high in, in hunting than involving the family and the, not only the generations before you, like our grandfather, but the generations that, that are, are coming after you. So uh, for me, that, that's, that's, that's yep. cloud nine for me. Um, hey, Jay, can I tell you a story about why not to take your wife hunting? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, in 2012, I told um, I, I, my wife and I, we, we had just two kids at the time. And I told her, I was like, you know, I would, I'd like to get you into hunting because it was something that I really enjoyed. And she'd never gone before. So she's like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll give it a try this year. So that particular year, I ended up shooting a, a pretty decent nine point buck on opening day archery seasoning here in Ohio. And shortly after that, 
I'm, I'm talking probably three, four weeks later, I started getting pictures of just an absolute giant non-typical deer um, on this farm that I was hunting. So I told her, I said, you need to go through the, you know, through your hunter's education and you need to get your hunting license and we need, I need to take you hunting and, and try to, you know, try to get this deer. So she did, she went to our local uh, fin feather for outfitter. She went through the, uh, the hunter safety course on a Friday night, November 11th. I'll never forget it. We, uh, she, my, she borrowed my dad's Excalibur crossbow. She said, I set a target up for 30 yards. We went out, she shot, she, we actually climbed up onto a, a steel flat roof building that we have here on the farm. She shot from that, the, the roof of that building. Nice. She, she, she shot three arrows, never shot a crossbow before. So I, the, the, our goal was the next morning, it was a Saturday, November 12th. I was going to take her deer hunting. So five o'clock in the morning, my dad comes over to, to watch our two young boys. And, um, we climbed into a, a, a double ladder stand together and at about seven fifteen or so a small button buck came through the woods and, She's like, you know, should we shoot it? Should we shoot it? And I was like, no, let's just wait. It's too early. You know, it's the rut here in Ohio. We got to just give it some time. Well, wouldn't you know it, at 7.45 that morning, she's like, there's a deer. <laughs> and I look up, and this buck is headed right for us. Long story short, I filmed that entire hunt with my cell phone. <laughs> and she shoots this deer 30 yards broadside, absolutely smokes him. At the end of the day, that deer had 18 scoreable points and, and scored 195 and two eights. Wow. So now God, God taught me a little humility, you know, humility because that deer's hanging on the wall. And I got to explain to every single person that comes around and I show them my deer collection that that one's not mine. Right. So <laughs> I'm not discouraging guys from taking their wives hunting, but just remember that could happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, so, I didn't kill that one. My wife did. I didn't kill that one. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a great, I gotta story. be honest about it too. That's very cool guys. So, yeah. I, I'm going to skip the 10 rapid fire questions just for the sake of time. But, um, if we have left some questions unanswered or if we have created more answers or excuse me, more questions than, than the answers we've delivered here today, where can people find you on social media, website, all that kind of stuff? So we go ahead, Scott, you got this one. Uh, sure. Um, yeah. So one, um, YouTube is going to be the most, um, sort of how to con uh, content, a uh, lot of it related to deer, uh, particularly butchering deer. And then, um, our social media platforms, we, we actually, so one of the things about our company, you know, it's, it's, it's all family and it's, and it's very small. It may be more, you know, smaller than most than it might appear or most people think. So we, we are, we're actually running, um, I guess like five different social media outlets because we have the white feather meats, which is our, you know, our, our meat business. We have Facebook and Instagram. And, and then on the beer to butcher side, we have, um, the YouTube channel and then we have Facebook and then we have Instagram. So we use the YouTube to, and we have to, we have to, um, uh, throw a shout out. So when we started with our first filming, whatever it was, 
literally that the, the deer video that has the 2 million views, it was 20 minutes, one take, didn't turn the camera the right way. You know, just us, we, we found, I guess, through that video or others, we had the ability to talk through what we were doing just because we had, you know, we could do it in our sleep. So we were able to put that out there, but as, as it evolved, um, O-Town Outdoors is a, uh, uh, two brothers that do media and they've been huge in our growth. Um, as far as YouTube is involved, just with, uh, with better camera equipment than able to edit or whatever. So YouTube is where you're going to find us putting out the, um, sort of the, the more, um, edited content, the content that's more pertinent, um, Instagram on our beard or butcher, um, blend Instagram is where you're going to find a lot of day-to-day stuff that we run on our stories. That's where you're going to get a real good, good look at who we are, um, what we're doing on a daily basis. And that, a lot of that carries over to Facebook too. So if you want to learn more of the how-to stuff, the recipes, the butchery style, that sort of thing, go to YouTube. If you want to see what the what the beard butchers are up to, you know, beard butcher blend on Instagrams, one of the best ways. Then of course, the spices are on beardbutcherblend.com. That's our website. Um, we are bringing more content to that website in the form of blogs and recipes and that sort of thing. Um, so that's where you can find us. And you mentioned um, jerky, Jay. Yep. We are we are going to be adding a um, shelf stable jerky to our website here very soon um planning on doing some wild game some bison some beef um made with our flavors you know the four different flavors of our seasoning so be on the lookout for that here in the next few months very cool i'm I'm yeah i'm definitely game for that that's awesome nice yeah uh, scott seth this has been an absolute blast i learned a lot in the, the the stuff you guys are doing on YouTube, it's viral. It's cool. It's mm-hmm. it's helpful. There's so much uh, really great information that you're delivering through video. Uh, so I, I appreciate what you're doing. Please keep keep going. And uh, absolutely, we we just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. We loved it, Jay. And uh, if you ever want to have us back, just give me a shout. Yeah, I'm going to hold you to that. All right. Thank, thanks that. for having us, Jay. Thank you, Jay. Thanks to Seth and Scott for joining us on the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. It is always a pleasure to talk about how you dissect your your deer once you've successfully harvested the deer or killed the deer and how to break it down appropriately. Uh, I thought we covered some pretty good stuff there, both in the, the dry age portion of everything and the, uh, the glands. Um, I don't hear a lot of people talking about the glands, but how do you take those apart? And then they just have a great story. I mean, I just, I just love that they're... They're uh, working the social media. They got the big beards, which seems to be popular right now, and they're getting it done. So I appreciate them coming on, and we definitely wish them the best. And somewhere down the road, we'll have them back on because they are um, good deer hunters as well. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me? Uh, shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up on Instagram and Twitter at Chasing Antler, facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Likewise, you can shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We are also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. 
far as videos are concerned. It's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice. Let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, and as an Amazon Alexa skill. Go to Alexa and say, Alexa, enable Big Buck Registry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckredstreet.com forward slash my buck and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Yeah.